It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So I have my hands full today with this message. This is a message, and I'm putting a certain amount of pressure on myself with this message because this is technically the entire reason I gave this series is for this message. It isn't probably the best way of articulating it because I, I caught a greater vision for this series as I was preparing it, but in my initial movement forward, I felt like I stumbled upon something and I felt like it enunciated something to my soul. Now the challenge with this is this message is coming in one of the busiest little stretches of my life and so I feel like at a certain level I had to abandon project this morning to say, well, I'm given the message. Even though there's part of me that's like, oh, I could shape this so much better. And so it's like I have to stick it in the kiln, and yet I still sort of want to stick my fingerprints in it and move some clay around. Uh, so I'm going to just trust God that uh, he knows that. He knows the limitations I have. But, and I don't know how much this is going to impact you as much as it's impacted me. That's the other thing that's unique about this is I have experienced a tremendous amount of spiritual attack in my life, like heightened, where I try and compare notes with other believers and they look at me like, okay. And that doesn't always make me feel very good. It's like, so you, you never have experienced that? Uh, no. And so it's like, wow. Uh, I, but Leslie and I have been targeted uh, by the enemy and uh, that's what this message is about. Uh, it's about being targeted uh, and what the enemies, well, I shouldn't say it that way. See, when I went through World War I series and World War II series, I made poor Germany uh, the bad guy. And you know, I'm German, so I, I felt like I could get away with it. But in a sense, they were the bad guys, but there was other bad guys. Every nation has a few bad guys in it, right? And not just because the nation may be fighting on the side of that which is most honorable does not necessarily mean it's a healthy nation. I mean, look at France in World War I, their entire motive was hate and fury and revenge. Not healthy, right? Now, they may not have initiated the war, but they sure were desirous of a war. And so even though the war uh, responsibility is going to fall on Germany in World War I, technically there's a lot of other parties uh, at fault, and that's one of these types of stories too, is, is I think it's been well established. I'm a fan of America. I am. And in this series, I'm sort of showing a lot of blemish in America, on the American complexion, that as a lover of America, you have a tendency to want to whitewash or cover over. Because it's like, hey, we're not going to look at that. We're going to look at this. And there's a lot that we could say, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this. And yet, there, if you're really going to be healthy, it's sort of like a family. You could try and put your best you know, Sunday dress on, and you could come to church and have ever, all your kids sit still and listen and even act like they're taking notes. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's a healthy family. And the same is true with America, where we can put our Sunday best on and we can cloak certain behaviors behind the scenes. But I think the healthiest form of a family is walking in the light and being willing to allow the Spirit of God to walk into your living room and actually address the things that are really going on instead of trying to act like they're not. It's a little more uncomfortable version, yes, but that's the one I prefer, which is the one I'm bringing to us in this series, which is why some people have acknowledged to me, this is sort of a hard series to listen to. Yeah, it's sort of a hard series to give. And I tend to gravitate towards hard, so that's probably why uh, I'm continuing forward loving it. I really have enjoyed this series, but in a different way. Uh, if you gave me a choice between you know, giving a series on World War I and World War II and this one, I would go to World War I and World War II in a heartbeat. I would rather go with a clear storyline than one that I have had to cobble together because there's so much that's happening in 60 years that is important. And I'm picking key moments. And of course, all of you out there could be like, oh, why did he choose that one? And it is, it puts a little pressure on me to make sense of it all, right? So we are in a time in our country, in, in this storyline right now, between 1914 and 1964, but right now in our, in our series, we have three episodes left. Uh, and maybe I should say, I have three episodes left. There is four episodes left in the series because Leslie's planning on giving one on Wednesday of next week. I have three episodes left and I need to land this plane. 
And we're in the 60s, and it is a revolutionary time period. And everything that America has been, what it represented, is being tested and pressed and tried. And we're not exactly sure if it's going to come out okay. And a lot of the world we live in right now is a direct result of what, what is taking place right here in the 60s. So I'm going to try and catch us up. I'm gonna, I have a lot that's going into this message, and I have no idea how it's going to come out. But uh, Lord Jesus, help me. Title, you guys are going to like this. Red, White, and Kablooey. This is part 35. The plot to kill Jesus. I know that seems like a little strange. Here we are talking about American history, and then, whoa, we just went back in time. When Jesus was here on this earth, he's a picture of virtue, of love, of peace, and yet, boy, did the religious leaders of the day, the leaders of the country of, uh, of Judea, want him destroyed. So... The plot to kill Jesus, now I'm going to sort of plant a concept in your mind here. It originated in those that sought to preserve their nation and preserve their place in it. So for those of you that know who it was, you know, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that have a position, they have a way that they think their country should function, they have a, a sense of the way it's always been, and they want to keep it that way. And we have a revolutionary that's going to show up, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when the revolutionary shows up, it's a threat to the system, to the order, to their position. And so they are going to set on a course of attempting to kill, murder, assassinate Jesus Christ. Of course, you know, in hindsight, we're looking back and we're like, what a terrible idea. These are the very people that God is going to choose, and he is going to desire to come to them and rescue them, and they're going to do this. Now, it's unfortunate because I don't have a direct parallel in American history, because the troublemakers, as I'll put quotes around it, the troublemakers in the story of, of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the troublemaker, and the bad guys are the ones that are trying to stomp him out. In our story, we just sort of have, we have troublemakers in the 60s, but the ones trying to stomp them out are equally a troublemaker. And so that's part of the challenge. So John 11, 45 through 48. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. This is a big event. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So what are they afraid of? They're afraid of the fact that they're going to lose their nation, and they're going to lose their place in it. It's very clear in Scripture. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of losing their nation and their place in it. So they're going to conspire. They're going to plot to kill Jesus. The 60s when the nation began to slip away. This is a very uncomfortable period of time. Now, I was born in 1970. Technically, I'm in this storyline. I should have had a picture of me pop up on the screen. It's like, hey, baby Eric is born in 1970 because we're crossing that threshold from the late 60s into the early 70s. And this is a correction period where the government is doing its best to try and bring order and to try and restrain the slippage so we have some very particular perpetrators. Most of them are going to be on what's called the left side of the ledger because Nixon has been elected in 69, uh, and so we are trying to swing our government conservative. We're trying to recover uh, something. We have, we have gone through three major assassinations in the 60s, John F. Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King, and Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy was the Democratic uh, presidential nominee, and he is going to be assassinated. I mean, it's like chaos uh, in our country at this time. And we have a very specific uh, lineup of characters that are creating disorder. The communists, 
They're still an issue, by the way. If you've listened to this series, you'll know that they've been an issue basically the whole time. They've come to steal away our nation's faith in God. So you have to recognize this is how we're thinking about it. The feminists, they've come to take away the position of the man. The civil rights advocates, they've come to disrupt the social order and diminish white power. The Ku Klux Klan, they have come to usurp the government's role in punishing these disruptors. Now, what's interesting is the Ku Klux Klan is on the far right. And they're against most of these things on the list too, but they're taking it into their own hands and they're doing it in such a way that makes what they're standing for grotesque. And so as a result, we have equally uh, an animosity towards them. And then we have something known as the hippies. I wanted to do an entire episode on the hippies because they're just very intriguing. And I've just run out of time, so maybe that's for the better. Uh, but, and then we have the anti-war activists, and they've, oh wait a minute, I, I forgot uh, to read the hippies one. They've come to tear apart the moral fabric of our nation. Literally, whatever is Judeo-Christian, they're doing the opposite. So whatever's moral, they're doing the opposite. And so they are spitting in the face of their parents' generation. So their parents are 50s and their 60s. And 60s isn't anything like the 50s. And then the anti-war activists, they've come to disarm us against the encroachment of evil. So 1967 is a culture in turmoil. So just to catch you up to this point, we have the civil rights movement, which is going to have started way before 55, but it's going to start gaining more and more definition. And so you're gonna have Brown versus the Board of Education, which I covered in this series. It's the Supreme Court ruling of the desegregation of schools. You're gonna have Rosa Parks, who's going to stay on the bus and she's going to be arrested for uh, not being willing to give up her seat for a, a white person. And you're going to see that, that's in 55. And then I, I covered the Cuban Missile Crisis in 62. Uh, the Kennedy assassination is in 63. The Vietnam War is starting in 65. And the anti-war movement, which you've never seen anything quite like that in America, is gonna start at the same time. And this country is very divided. The sharpest divide since the Civil War is right in this time. And then we have the hippie movement, which is gonna start earlier in the 60s, but it's going to find its clear definition uh, in 1967. So I gave this quote at the end of the Cuban Missile Crisis message, and that was, I can't help, this is Mendel Cooper, I can't help thinking in retrospect that the Cuban Missile Crisis helped fuel the rage of my generation against the adults and the ensuing student protests and the hippie and anti-war movements just a few years later. There are certain events that are gonna create sort of a crisis feeling. And you're gonna have the younger generation, mainly collegians, that are going to start questioning everything. And they're gonna say, this doesn't work. Uh, this is a bogus system. And they're going to retaliate against it. I mean, we have revolution taking place. So there's a big concern uh, and you have this growing swelling strength among the black community. They're gaining more confidence to speak, to speak out, to call a foul. Things that they were never allowed to say under Jim Crow laws, they're starting to say. And this is a threat to the establishment, to the system of the times. Now, for those of you that lean right and you have a conservative background, our view or the lens in which we've been taught to view civil rights and all of that is just like, it's, it's disruptive. It is uh, unthankful, it's ungrateful. It's asking for more than, than it should. It's self-aggrandizing. You know, we, have, we have our different ways that we can frame it, but I think one of the things that this series can show is that there's actually a reasonable grievance that is there at the root of our country that the way we have treated uh, the black people is not right. It is immoral, it is unethical, it is ungodly in every regard. And so what you're seeing is a correction that is taking place. The problem is our system of order, societal order, isn't yet ready to accept that. And this is what's creating a fight. And the biggest concern is that the black people are going to find themselves a black messiah a man who will actually rise up and begin to lead them with strength. Of course, the greatest concern is that this black Messiah will encourage violence as the answer. And for many of you that know Martin Luther King, he's going to ultimately be tagged as the chief black Messiah prospect. And ironically, he wasn't even 
preaching violence, but they were concerned he might change to it. It's very interesting, the logic. And here's the other interesting thing about this is we know a whole bunch of the backstory, not all of it, but we have, you know, a good 75% of what was going on that the public back then did not know. And it's because of released documents, governmental documents, where we can actually see memos passed around. We can see the inner office communications amongst the FBI. And we know uh, White House communications. We have all these things which help us piece together a picture of what is taking place in this exact time. So the unpopular Martin Luther King Jr. Isn't that an interesting way of describing Martin Luther King Jr.? At this time, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI, is famous. He's lost a little of his edge, I'll just say it that way. But he is going to go into a public battle with Martin Luther King. And he is going to challenge Martin Luther King. He's very much against Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King is going to go into a public battle against J. Edgar Hoover. Bad idea, right? You don't really want to take on J. Edgar Hoover. And at this time, 75% of America frowned on Martin Luther King in 1967. They were against Martin Luther King. And they were for J. Edgar Hoover and his FBI. If you did the same poll today, it would be like 99.9% in favor of Martin Luther King and maybe 0.0001% in favor of J. Edgar Hoover. So to see the shift of culture is quite dramatic. There's a, a picture of Martin Luther King being arrested. Martin Luther King Jr. is going to make a statement that, you know, there's part of me that if I'm his counselor is going to say, just keep that to yourself. You don't need to let that fly. But he's going to say, the FBI is completely ineffectual in resolving the continued mayhem and brutality inflicted upon the Negro in the Deep South. And he's going to pick a fight with J. Edgar Hoover. And you know, don't, don't do that. Don't do that is what you want to say. However, if any of you have followed this series, you have to agree that something is wrong. The government is going to defend all these things, but in the South, they're not enforcing their laws, and the, the black person is vulnerable, and they're being lynched still without any consequences, and no one's doing anything, and if the federal government has the authority to do it, why aren't they doing something here? And that's what Martin Luther King is bringing out. J. Edgar Hoover is going to retaliate publicly. Martin Luther King Jr. is the most notorious liar in the country. He's uh, <clears throat> become infamous for that quote, by the way. That doesn't go down in history very well. Uh, as everyone starts liking Martin Luther King Jr. and not liking him, this one has sort of ended up on his tombstone, if I could say it that way. The civil rights motto. I thought this was interesting. Uh, Langston Hughes wrote this, and I just want you to ponder the words in this, because this is sort of the battle cry. Oh, yes, I say it plain. American... Never was, America was, never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. So the black people don't feel like America is theirs, but they swear it will be theirs. And it's like they want full citizenship. Of course, if you're white, you could interpret that to be they're trying to steal the country from us. You could look at it that way, so it depends on which glasses you're wearing. So I'm going to go through a quick history. So history.com is a good way of doing a summary because I'm actually not trying to teach on this. I just want to get you guys caught up. On November 15th, 1969, the largest anti-war demonstration in American history took place in Washington, D.C. as over 250,000 Americans gathered peacefully, calling for withdrawal of American troops from Vietnam. The anti-war movement, which was particularly strong on college campuses, divided Americans bitterly. For some young people, the war symbolized a form of unchecked authority they had come to resent. For other Americans, opposing the government was considered unpatriotic and treasonous. In the United States, the effects of the Vietnam War would linger long after the last troops returned home in 1973. The nation spent more than $120 billion on the conflict in Vietnam from 1965 to 1973. This massive spending led to widespread inflation exacerbated by a worldwide oil crisis in 1973 and skyrocketing fuel prices. Psychologically, the effects of the Vietnam War ran even deeper. The war had pierced the myth of American invincibility and had bitterly divided the nation. Many returning veterans faced negative reactions from both opponents of the war, who viewed them as having killed innocent civilians, and its supporters, who saw them as having lost the war. 
along with physical damage, including the effects of exposure to the toxic herbicide, Agent Orange. It was, this is a miserable thing. If you fought in Vietnam, you come back and certain people are mad at you because you even fought. And then certain people are mad at you because you didn't win. I mean, you failed. You failed us, oh soldier. And so this is leading to a crisis that we've never seen before. We'd never had actually these dynamics in our country. So here's where we get to the point of what I want to cover, and that is rescuing our country from the unrest. The FBI to the rescue. So the FBI is going to start in 1924, and it is going to have very limited jurisdiction and scope of what it can deal with. And then as time goes by, J. Edgar Hoover is going to stay in this seat of power since 1924. And he is going to oversee this operation and his power is going to grow and grow and grow to the point where he doesn't wait for a law to pass to tell him he can do something. He just decides that, you know what? I know what's best for this country. So J. Edgar Hoover's moral sense becomes the way the government is going to police. Because you can look at the FBI as the government's professional police force. And they are the arm of the government to enforce laws. And so in looking back at this time period, which we have, we could say full exposure, unfortunately for, this, for the FBI, we have full exposure of what they were doing in this time. And I have a hunch you're not going to be very supportive, especially if you love this country. You would be like, uh, uh, red, white, and kablooey. Uh, that's not good. This isn't how we should handle things in our country. So they're going to develop, the FBI is going to develop something called COINTELPRO. And that's actually a short for counterintelligence program. And this is an internal system. This isn't like, international espionage. This is espionage within our own country. And it is going to be for the sake of stabilizing our country because there are certain troublemakers out there that are, that are hindering us, that are destabilizing us, and we need to quiet them. So this is, this COINTELPRO is the off the record, black ops, unconstitutional, illegal, super secret solution to the troublemakers. Most people have no idea that this is happening. Even at the highest levels of government, they have no idea that the FBI is doing what they're doing. So who were the troublemakers? Well, we already went through a, a list, but here's, here's an official list from the FBI. The Communist Party USA, anti-Vietnam War organizers, activists of the civil rights and black power movements, for example, Martin Luther King Jr., the Nation of Islam, and the Black Panther Party, feminist organizations, environmentalists, and animal rights organizations, the American Indian Movement, AIM, Chicano and Mexican-American groups like the Brown Berets and the United Farm Workers, independence movements, including Puerto Rican independence groups such as the Young Lords and the Puerto Rican Socialist Party, a variety of organizations that were part, that were part of the broader New Left, white supremacist groups such as the Ku Klux Klan and the far-right group National States Rights Party. So it's interesting, there, are, like, there is one conservative thing in the line, most of it is the left and the, and the liberal, and that, that works well with America at this time, and it also works well with J. Edgar Hoover. This is J. Edgar Hoover's value system right here. He's very much anti-communist. He wants to maintain in God we trust in our country. He wants our Judeo-Christian roots, but he's also, I hate to say this about the poor guy, but he also is old order white uh, rulership over our country. White supremacy is what he grew up in, and he, it's a blind spot to him. He doesn't see how it impacts him, but it does. And so he sees a threat to social order of a black person actually gaining equal citizenship. So what were the troublemakers doing? They were attempting to alter America from what it had always been. I want you to think about just your own disposition. It's hard. I mean, I, one of the things that's been really hard for me just in my own political or social persuasions is I desire a country that loves Jesus. I don't know if there's any of you in here that wouldn't agree. And part of it is just pure selfish. I just want a stable country that's marked by peace. I don't want to be in the midst of the 60s. I want to be in a peaceful country that has a strong economy that loves Jesus and sends off missionaries to change the world. 
I mean, come on, can we just keep it that way? And when something begins to come in that is altering it, then the question is, how do we respond to that? Because there are always movements to alter something that is stable and good. The enemy is a destabilizer. That's what he specializes in. And so our problem is that we usually respond in the wrong way to the destabilizing forces. So the FBI has COINTELPRO. So let me give you some of their tactics of how they are going to utilize this counterintelligence program. They have three things, slander, division, and antagonism. Okay, so let me give you slander. First of all, their goal is to take these troublemakers and to mar their public image, to release negative information about the group to the public, whether it be true or not. Huh. Uh, divide. They want to destroy the internal leadership of the groups by creating conflicts. They're going to place plants, like secret moles, in the, in the groups and have them pass lies and innuendo about the leadership and use anonymous letters to spike dissensions. And then they're going to antagonize. They're going to stir up discord between groups carrying the same agenda. So in other words, you have two different black power groups. They're different groups with different leadership, but then you're going to spike an animosity between them. And so you're going to spread rumors about theft, like this group robbed from this group, violent threats, this group wants to take this group out. And they're planting these things to create animosity between them so they destroy themselves. And overthrows of power. So three, I'm going to walk through this, and I'm going to just show you, because this is an entire study in of itself. You could write a book on COINTELPRO. We have so much information about what was done. But they're going to, these are just three target points. I'm going to show you the Black Panther Party and what the FBI did to address that. Jane, Jean Seberg, who was an actress, and Martin Luther King Jr. So now the reason I'm doing this is not just because I think it's fun, what I'm about to describe to you, when I came across this, I, I felt like it just described my life. It's like, whoa, 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 stop right there. I was actually listening to a podcast. I, re I rewinded the podcast, rewound the podcast. How do you do that? I just went back and started over. Uh, and I listened to it five times. And I was like, I have never heard something describe what has come against my life and Ellerslie quite like this. It's like, whoa, that is precisely what came against us. And this is like government-sponsored program that is tactically la laboring to deal with troublemakers. That which is at the chief, at the front end of the danger points in our culture, the FBI is going to target them and attempt to take them out. But the way it wants to take them out is to have hands off. No one would ever think they had anything to do with it. And they want these groups to kill themselves, basically. They want them to implode from within. So I'm just going to give you some samples of this. So the Black Panther Party. So the Black Panther Party, uh, by the way, I... I am not supportive of the Black Panther Party, okay? And however, in, in knowing the history of our country the way I do, I can understand the grievance. I really can. That does not mean I, I think that they handled everything just right or were behaving in a way that was seemly and honorable, okay? They, they weren't. They were carrying around machine guns, okay? They were espousing violence as a solution to deal with what they called a violent government against them. In other words, okay, you lynch us, we'll carry guns. And you try and get us, we'll take you out. It's like, okay, guys, I think there's a better way of doing this, but at least I can say I understand your grievance. Uh, whereas at that time, they were just criminals and they were dangerous. So I'm going to acknowledge the FBI is quite talented at removing threats. This is a very, very impressive operation that at the time no one knew that they were behind. And yet J. Edgar Hoover is going to target them and eliminate the Black Panther Party. So here's just a picture of the Black Panthers. Uh, they're very intimidating. I mean, even to get them to smile is a rare thing because that's part of their image is angry and uh, they have angst. So J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI, is going to say the Black Panther Party without question represents the greatest threat to internal security of the country. So it's extremely fascinating with all that has been exposed on the FBI back in this period to be able to rebuild this and understand what the government was doing specifically. 
So BPP, or Black Panther Party, take down tactic number one. So their first agenda is to take down the leader, Stokely Carmichael. So Stokely Carmichael is a very strong leader, very well uh, spoken. Here's a picture of uh, Stokely uh, Carmichael right there. And I'm not going to go into these at any great level. I'm just going to give you little samplings. But Beverly Gage says, in one May 1969 operation, Hoover authorized a plan to send Carmichael a fake note written on duplicated Panther letterhead, expelling him from the organization. So he's going to get a letter from the internal organization that he leads saying, you're out. We don't want you anymore. And it's weird to say, how could that even work? Because it's fake. But if you are already watching your back for a living, that's what you do is you question everyone. And what the FBI wants you to actually think is that they could have moles anywhere. And so internally, they start to pass around the idea that Stokely actually is, you know, maybe FBI leaning and that maybe he's not genuinely uh, leading. And then you get these intertensions and then they reject Stokely. It was all fake. He is end, he's going to have this embattlement within his organization. He's going to actually leave the organization and step down. It worked. Uh, Black Panther uh, Party takedown tactic number two. Drive a wedge between the two new leaders. So we have Eldridge Cleaver and Huey P. Newton. So Eldridge Cleaver's on the left. Huey P. Newton is on the right. <clears throat> so we're going to need to drive a wedge between them. So uh, we're going to do this by sending bogus letters, letters artfully written by the FBI. So these are samples because I, I don't actually have the, the actual letters for this. This was the tactic, though. Cleaver, I think you're the man for the hour. And that is why I'm going to tell you what I heard. Word on the street is that Huey wants you out. He wants the leadership all to himself. He wants you to pack your bags. Now, on the other side, Huey, I only tell you this because I think you're the right man to lead the BPP. But Cleaver was overheard saying that he thinks you are dead weight on this organization. He wants you out. I want you to fight to stay in charge. Now, both of them are feeling like, he wants me out? I want him out. And this is going to work. It's going to destroy their relationship. And it's all made up. It's all fake. It's all from the outside. Black Panther Party takedown tactic number three. Drive a wedge between, the two, uh, between two of the Black Panther Party subgroups, the Chicago Panthers and the Blackstone Rangers, to ensure that they kill each other instead of the police. So if they're focused on each other, then they won't have the time to deal with uh, anyone else. And so this was the tactic. Here's a letter that is going to be sent to Jeff Fort, who's the, Black, who's the leader of the Blackstone Rangers. And his fort, there's supposed to be a hit out for you. And somehow in that process, it's inferred that the hit is coming from the Chicago Panthers because it's in their territory. Like they want this territory too. And so this was sent to Jeff Ford of the Blackstone Rangers by the FBI to in intimate that the Chicago Panthers were vying to take over his territory. And so you're seeing, I don't know what your thoughts are so far as we're going through this, but here's what I could say. Classic devil. The devil is a liar. He is a fabricator and he tries to disrupt and disorient us. He tries to turn us against each other. This is what he does. So the reason I'm sharing this is not just so you can go, wow, this is depressing. It's so that you can be actually wise to the ways of the enemy and not be played by them. So here's an FBI office memo from the Chicago office. It is our hope that this note to Jeff Fort, the one I just read to you, may intensify the degree of animosity between the two groups and occasion Fort to take retaliatory action, which could disrupt the BPP or lead to reprisals against their leadership. So we have this internal FBI office memo about that very note going out. Uh, Black Panther uh, Party takedown tactic number four, to publish racist cartoons nationally as if they were declarations of war on the police from the Black Panthers. So they're going to publish a, a coloring book of, that is supposedly Black Panther authorized, but it's actually created by the FBI. And I'll give you one of the pictures, okay? This is just one of the pictures. And you'll see on the bottom, it says, power comes through the barrel of a gun. But what they're turning is public opinion against the Black Panthers. So, because this is out there basically showing, first of all, the Black Panthers always refer to the police as pigs. And it's a derogatory term towards their leadership and towards their position. And it's showing that the Black Panthers are really the problem. 
And so this is actually all false and put out by the FBI. Black Panther Party takedown tactic number five, neutralize their up and coming black messiah prospect, who is Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton is around 20 years old at this time. He is shockingly well-spoken. And he's just a guy off the streets, right? And yet he is able to say something and the community is starting to follow him and it's pretty obvious he is going to be taking over the Black Panthers pretty soon. And so he becomes you know, the chief target of COINTELPRO. We have to take this guy out. He's a black messiah in the making. So there's uh, Fred Hampton. The FBI operation uh, to neutralize Fred Hampton. So this is on December 4th, 1969, uh, 1.30 a.m. William O'Neill, who's a part of the Black Panther Party, but he's a plant, he's a mole. And he's been working, he's getting paid by the FBI to work inside the Black Panther Party. And so uh, he is going to supply a floor plan of Fred Hampton's apartment complex to the FBI. This is all set up by the FBI. It's going to be a Chicago police raid because of suspected uh, involvement of the Black Panthers in a, an attack on the police. And O'Neill uh, is going to actually stay behind there. All the Black Panthers are out at a, a, a church. It's at a church. I don't know if it was a church gathering, but they're like training youth in, you know, in the movement. And so O'Neill is going to stay back and prepare the meal. And he is going to drug Fred Hampton. And he's later going to confess all this, by the way. And so we actually know what happened in this situation. But he's going to stay behind. He's going to drug Fred Hampton. He's going to have the dinner for him. And he's going to drug Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton is going to be just you know, completely out, basically laying on a mattress that night when they show up at 1.30 sleeping. The police break into Hampton's apartment. The police are going to give off 99 shots. The guy that was guarding, sitting guard, is going to give off one before he is shot. It goes into the ceiling. And so 99 shots to one. Fred Hampton was sleeping on a mattress and wounded in the shoulder as he lay there, drugged. So here's a conversation that uh, the other uh, parties are going to testify that they are going to hear. Chicago policeman number one, that's Fred Hampton. Chicago policeman number two, is he dead? Bring him out. Chicago policeman number three, he's barely alive. Chicago policeman number one, he'll make it. There were two more shots fired at point blank range at Hampton's head. Chicago policeman number two, he's good and dead now. So what we call this in America is murder. However, when it's done by the police, what do you call it? When it's done to protect our society from a black messiah, what do you call that? Do you follow me? This is, this is the challenge we're facing in our history here because this is actually orchestrated by the FBI to take out a 20-year-old that is standing for something that goes against the grain of what America is about. And there's part of me, and I don't even want to acknowledge that any part of me could exist that would understand what the FBI is doing, because I would never want to say that. I don't, I would never support, never condone, but I understand our propensity to want things to stay status quo. It's like, no, 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 we're not going in that direction. What do we need to do? What do we need to neutralize? How aggressive do we need to be? to stop whatever this downward slide is. The Black Panther Party is, it's a scary thing when you see black men wandering around the streets with machine guns. It's like, this is destabilizing. So can you understand, I mean, even though none of you want to admit that you'd understand either, why the FBI may want to neutralize Fred Hampton? So we're gonna go to the next story because I don't know if that one disturbed you enough. Uh, Jane Seberg is a famous actress in the 60s, and the FBI is going to completely destroy her. So there's Jane Seberg. Her crime, she donates $10,000 to the Black Panther Party. So we have a, a picture of Jane. This is going to be her undoing right here, that she is going to publicly stand with the Black Panthers. Jane Fonda is going to do the same. And there is going to be, uh, this immediately is going to register in the FBI headquarters. It's like, we got a troublemaker, guys, take her out. So this is just a young girl that is exploring her revolutionary side, right? It's just the classic liberal thing to do. FBI home office. Gene Seberg has been a financial supporter of the BPP and should be neutralized. 
FBI cable from Los Angeles office, because she's working in Hollywood at the time. Request to publicize the pregnancy of Jean Seberg, well-known actress by, and then name is redacted, of the Black Panther Party by advising Hollywood gossip columnists. This could cause her embarrassment and serve to cheapen her image. So she is privately pregnant. Somehow the FBI is going to find out about this. They are going to leak the information that she is pregnant by a Black Panther leader. And this is going to come out through the Los Angeles Times. So the Los Angeles Times, which is horrified of this, the, the political incorrectness of this 50 years later is really high. So the Los Angeles Times has had to work their way through that over the years. When the tip came in, a Times reporter passed it to the Metro editor who sent it on to the gossip columnist, Joyce Haber. She ran the item on May 19 with no names attached, but with enough details that Gene Seberg was easily identifiable. In it, Haber noted that Seberg, whom she called Miss A, was pursuing a number of free-spirited causes, among them the Black Revolution. Haber said that the father of her child was said to be a rather prominent Black Panther. Jane Seberg is married at the time, so this isn't a small accusation. A similar item ran in Newsweek a few weeks later, this time using Seberg's name. So the, this young girl, being publicly humiliated. At the time, the association between white and black blacks relationally was still very, very taboo. And so this is so, not just humiliating, but it's criminal. And she's going to stop getting invited to, uh, like even her movie career is going to just like drop. And she suddenly becomes Scarlet Letter. Uh, she has a big A on her chest. She is going to go into early labor, her child is going to die, uh, and she is going to have an open casket to just prove the race of the baby. But this is like how traumatic it is because the FBI is wrong. That isn't actually what happened, but it's going to completely destroy this young girl's life. In an era where, when a relationship between a married white woman and a radical African-American lover would have been frowned upon in many circles, the assertion was devastatingly effective. Seberg went into premature labor in August. The baby died two days after delivery. Seberg became depressed, her career stalled, and she tried repeatedly to commit suicide every year on the, on the, and the, on the date of her child's death. In 1979, she was found dead in her car on a Paris street after intentionally overdosing. I mean, it's so, it's so disturbing to me. I, I struggle to have the right words. I know this is somewhat of a depressing message so far. Roman Gary, who was Seberg's second husband, said, Jean Seberg was destroyed by the FBI. She became psychotic after that false claim. Edward Seberg, who is Seberg's father, in reply to the FBI abuses, if this is true, why in the dickens didn't they just shoot her instead of having all this travail that's gone on? I have this American flag in the corner that I used to put out every morning, and I haven't put it out since. So I want, here's the reason I'm going through this is first, there's two, two things, to show you a parallel spiritually, so you understand something. And then also to show you what has happened in our country in and through this stretch, where we are gonna lose confidence in the flag. We are gonna lose confidence in our government. What's about to happen in America is even going to make it worse. And that's, remember I said World War I to Watergate. And so all of this is happening in one little spell which is going to create an instability in our country, which leads to so much of what we have today. You know, the term uh, conspiracy theory is going to be crafted in this 60s time period. And one of the reasons why it is going to be heavily used is to debunk someone who's calling into question the government's activities. It's like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. And so it just silences you because when you become a conspiracy theorist, that's the equivalent of you say, saying you're a kook, right? Cuckoo. You, you obviously have some screws loose because you, you, know, you think that everything is a government conspiracy. If you go, if you go through the, the 60s, I mean, there's so much bait for really good conspiracy theories, guys. I mean, they're all over the place. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't plan to hang out in that territory, and I don't like to waste my time on it. Do I believe that our government has done some no-nos? Oh, yes. And, but I could say that about any government. And I could also say, it does not mean I don't love my country. It just means I understand that we have some serious challenges at our core. To the point where it's like, okay, Lord, what do I do today in the year 2023 to see health and wholeness? If, if I was dealing with your life and you have something back in your past which has injured you, 
which has had a Jane Seberg effect on your soul, what I want to do is intervene with truth that you could be set free. It doesn't matter what the enemy's agenda is to destroy us. God wins. And so that's part of what I want us to see in this. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, my sub point to this is there are no words. This is uh, one of the hardest things. I, 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 I've, I've always been a fan of Martin Luther King Jr. And in going through this, I, I've had to recognize that, okay, maybe he's not the hero I thought he was. That, that's been a challenge for me because I've always sort of liked him and uh, respected how he approached things. He had a, a, a more immoral side to him that the FBI is going to play against him. And he's going to have a lot of illicit affairs on the side. And that's, that's not easy for me to encounter. But I also am disturbed by how he is going to be dealt with. First of all, it's hard if you know what we know now to not think that <clears throat> the government didn't have something to do with eliminating another black messiah. But that's, again, that's conspiracy theorist territory. So here's an exposed 1968 FBI memo. And he was going to, he's assassinated in 1968, by the way. The purpose of COINTELPRO is to prevent the rise of a black, or, I'm sorry, the rise of a messiah who could unify the militant black nationalist movement to pinpoint potential troublemakers and neutralize them before they exercise their potential for violence against authorities. Martin Luther King Jr., the most likely messiah. So there's a, a picture of uh, Martin Luther King. What an eloquent man. I mean, I, if you ever read one of his speeches, hear one of his speeches, it is... It's remarkable. It really is. What he is able to say, I almost included a speech, his anti-Vietnam speech, uh, that he, it was like a sermon for him, and he was in a church on a Sunday, and he gives it. Could you imagine if I gave an anti-Vietnam speech uh, for my sermon on Sunday? Of course, some of you are like, this is sort of like it. Uh, <clears throat> Exposed 1963 FBI memo. In the light of King's powerful demagogic speech, we must mark him now, if we have not done so before, as the most dangerous Negro of the future of this nation from the standpoint of communism, the Negro, and national security. So Martin Luther King is going to have an associate or someone who's in his legal counsel that has a background in the Communist Party. So the FBI is all over that. And they want, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at uh, Martin Luther King. If he's not communist personally, he's influenced by the communist agenda. So that's at the, the top of uh, the FBI list. And the fact that uh, he's black and he's leading a counter-revolution against the status quo of our country, these are big deals. And the fact that he sure does look like he's the Messiah that we've been fearing. Wikipedia, sorry to use this. Soon after, the FBI was systematically bugging King's home and in, in his hotel rooms as they were now aware that King was growing in stature daily as the most prominent leader of the civil rights movement. It was illegal to do this, but again, everything the FBI is doing is illegal in this time. That's what's funny. They are the enforcers of law, what is legal, and yet they are doing everything illegally. But, as many of you could sort of feel, have a little gush that says, but they're protecting our country in so doing. Yeah, but what if the same FBI decides to call troublemakers troublemakers that maybe we wouldn't consider troublemakers? You see, who defines troublemakers? And if you have unlimited ability and power to dismiss and to pull another COINTELPRO against said troublemakers, we have problems in our country. No longer are we a country under the rule of law. We have those that are beyond the law. So Tim Weiner, who uh, wrote this in his book, says the bugs that were placed in Martin Luther King's world got quick results. When King traveled, as he did constantly in the ensuing weeks, to Washington, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, and Honolulu, the Bureau planted hidden microphones in his hotel rooms. The FBI placed a total of eight wiretaps and 16 bugs on King. The FBI is, he's going, King is going to win the Nobel Prize, and before he's going to receive, you know, have the public reception of it, uh, the FBI is going to intervene with a letter. Now, this letter sounds like it comes from someone in the civil rights movement. They're going to write all their letters so that it, they don't look like they're from them. And this is, I'm referring to this as the infamous letter. And this letter, you can interpret it for yourself. It's a very strange letter. But uh, it is going to come with an audio tape basically saying, this is what we have on you, and it's all going public if you don't. And the, the best way of interpreting it is if you don't commit suicide. 
In other words, if you want to save this movement, remove yourself. So, uh, King, in view of your low-grade, and I I edited this down, by the way, it's a little more uh, ruthless than I felt comfortable with. In view of your low-grade, abnormal personal behavior, I will not dignify your name with either a mister or a reverend or a doctor. And your last name calls to mind only the type of king such as King Henry VIII and his countless acts of adultery and immoral conduct lower than that of a beast. King, look at your heart. You know you are a complete fraud and a great liability to all of us Negroes. White people in this country have enough frauds of their own, but I am sure they don't have one at this time that is anywhere near your equal. You are no clergyman and you know it. I repeat, you are a colossal fraud and an evil, vicious one at that. You could not believe in God and act as you do. Clearly, you don't believe in any personal moral principles. King, like all frauds, your end is approaching. You could have been our greatest leader. You, even at an early age, have turned out to be a leader, not a leader, but a dissolute, abnormal, moral imbecile. We will now have to depend on our older leaders like Wilkins, a man of character, and thank God we have others like him. But you are done. Your honorary degrees, your Nobel Prize, what a grim farce, and other awards will not save you. King, I repeat, you are done. The American public, the church organizations that have been helping Protestant, Catholic, and Jews will know who you, who you, will know you for, who, for what you are, an evil, abnormal beast. So will others who have backed you. You are done. King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do this exact exact number has been selected for a specific reason. It is definite practical significance. You are done. This is but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. This is going to be found in the FBI files, written by the FBI, and sent to Martin Luther King, as if it came from one of his members in the civil rights movement. It's going to include a tape. It's going to be sent to his wife. And so there is an appeal. There is nothing in the tone of this that matches the kingdom of heaven in even the slightest bit. There are some of us that maybe feel like, oh, we've been fraudulent. Yeah, we haven't behaved. But the kingdom of heaven never communicates this way. What's interesting about it, and it's sort of hard for me to have to say this about our history, is that our own FBI has behaved like the devil This is actually how the kingdom of darkness works. In tactical scheming to try and disrupt, to try and destroy, what does the thief come to do? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. To plant evidence against us, whether it be true or false, makes no difference. I have been falsely accused quite a few times without evidence uh, and without any proof. And it, no one even wants to hear the proof. It's like I remember calling up a guy who was accusing me of things like, hey, you know, I'll fly you out. I'll pay for it. You can come and examine anything you want here. It's like, no, no, I've already made up my mind. It's like, huh. And when someone's already made up their mind to destroy you, it makes it rather difficult, right? And so some of you have this on your back. This is exactly what has been trailing you around. And it is not God. And that's where the key in this comes in, is that this is the very work that our God defeated at the cross. He nullified its power over us. It's interesting because, you know, at Ellerslie, we have faced a tremendous amount of this, where somehow we must have gotten tagged, whether it was in hell or in some group, you know, that was actually, you know, in this world, as troublemakers, as those that need to be hallmarked, watched, spied upon. It's, you know, it's one of those things, if you said, have we had plants or moles in our midst? Very likely, right? And so somehow, it's, it's a strange world we live in. And when I was going through this, I'm just staring back at it thinking, that is so odd. Because tactically, that's the exact same things that have been done against me in this organization. And here's what's, I know this might sound funny, but encouraging about that is just like in this situation, it's going to be exposed. And when it's exposed, what it does is it actually enables, encourages, and strengthens you to recognize if the enemy is going that far out of his way to try and nullify you, what you are doing must be very important. And so... For me, that's the way I have chosen to always 
uh, turn the, the tables on this. It's like, Lord, the enemy is speaking to me all day long. You're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. Give up, give up, give up, give up. You're not making any difference. There's nothing happening that's going to be beneficial. And so, sorry about whatever's going on. I think that's the mosquito sprayer out there. So we'll be all happy that he's out there doing it. But uh, meanwhile, I think he's gone now. Uh, but the enemy over and over again is telling me to shut up. Why though? Could it be that he's afraid of what I'm speaking? Could it be that he's afraid that what we are doing here actually might impact the world? Huh, I think I'm gonna go with that as the conclusion. Thank you for the indirect weird compliment you have just given me, O oh devil. March 8th, 1971. So there's gonna be a group that's called the Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI. What a name that they come up with for themselves. And they are going to burgle, they're going to break in to an FBI field office in Media, Pennsylvania. You know what they're gonna find? They're gonna find all of this. And in a strange sense, I feel like that's the spirit of God. Now, I, I'm not a big fan of these guys breaking into buildings. I'm not a big fan of any of this. I mean, on any side of the ledger, it's not like I'm like, go, go, go. This is sort of a dark season of history. The destabilizers in our country are what we're calling the troublemakers. I'm not necessarily saying, oh, I'm with them either. But at the same time, I'm not with the government and how it's responding to them. I'm sort of in the middle going, hey, guys, hey, 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 there's a better course for this. It's the behavior of Jesus. You see, what I want for our country is not just to go back to the way we've always been. I want us to move forward in truth, in light. I want to see healing brought. I don't mind uh, the black people having full citizenship. You know, I'm just gonna go on record right there. I think it's a great idea, right? I think we all should love one another, not just as equals, but as if others are more important than us. Technically, that would make more sense. There's actually a statement, I think it's in the King James, that we would look after one another's wealth, that we would seek another's wealth above our own. It's like, well, that sounds like a bad socialistic plan, doesn't it? And yet, just think about it from a Christian's vantage point. I'm not saying it's a good idea for a national government, but I'm saying as far as my personal vantage point, that I want to see you succeed even more than me that I wanna see you blessed, that I wanna see you cared for, that I wanna see you encouraged as opposed to just looking out for my own skin. So March 8th, 1971, we all need a March 8th, 1971 in our life where that which the enemy is doing against us gets exposed. Have you ever had it where you have a lie that is hitting you and then one day you suddenly realize it's been a lie all this time? In other words, that God can't love you and meanwhile, March, uh, 8th, 1971 comes around and says, actually, that was a lie from the devil. Did you know that God actually loves you? That God has singled you out and he cares for you? Guys, do we have those mosquito guys over on this side now? Uh, doesn't that sound like it fits the message though? It's like we're trying to focus on a message. Meanwhile, we have these blowers on the outside that are doing their best to try and distract us. Little does that guy know he's making it into a message. Poor, poor guy. So the secret antics of COINTELPRO are exposed. When, Jane, when Gene Seberg commits suicide, the FBI, FBI, after J. Edgar Hoover has passed away, is actually going to come forward and say, yeah, this is what we did to her. I mean, it's a very noble move, actually, where the FBI, just like the Los Angeles Times, have they actually sort of like, uh, we, we did wrong. And if we're ever gonna rebuild trust, we better acknowledge what we did, expose it, and then reform. And it does not mean that the confidence of our country has been reestablished. Some of us in this room are just completely ignorant of all these things. We didn't grow up at that time, and even if we did, we weren't aware enough to know what was going on. But those that did grow up in that time are the ones that have been making policies over the past decades. And so the world in which we live is springing out of this destabilized time where the government is going to reach way beyond uh, where it should be and it's going to create a destabilized country known as America. John 11, this is how I started. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. 
Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. I think it's good for us to know that as world changers, we're deemed troublemakers in this world. I, I think that's, it's an important at least to note that, but there's a way to be a troublemaker that is better than others. Now, I, I'd like to just say that Jesus is the ultimate troublemaker, right? He is going to do it just as he ought. And he doesn't seem to show a lot of regard for the Pharisees, you know, and the chief priests. He doesn't seem to spend a lot of time going out of his way to say, hey, could I do this better to make it easier for you? I think he knows that they are false and that they need to be dealt with, but he is dealing, he's frying bigger fish than trying to displace the chief priests and the Pharisees. He's actually doing something greater and so are we. Our issues first and foremost are not political. They're not national, they're spiritual. And even if the national level issues don't change and the governmental systems stay in place and they desire to crucify Jesus and those that follow Jesus, that makes no difference for our task. Our task is to dismantle the puppeteers. See, there is a physical realm, but our battle isn't against that. It's not against the flesh and blood. It is against the spiritual powers level. Our job is to actually aim higher. Jesus is doing that exact thing. He's a troublemaker. He's being sought out. They want to kill him. And he leverages that into even a greater advantage. He is going to give himself over into the hands of sinners. And you could say, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? As a tactical maneuver. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to give you the same exact tactical maneuver. However, it's the same Christ that dwells in you that will take all that the enemy means to sabotage, and he's going to turn it against them. The one great study you could have in all of this is, yes, the Black Panthers are going to go down. Gene Seberg's going to go down. Martin Luther King is going to go down. Jesus is going to apparently go down, but guess what? He rises again. And he is going to trample on all that the enemy was coming against him with. If the enemy had known what God was up to, he would have never crucified the Son of God. And that's exactly what I want to be said about us. If the enemy knew what he was messing with, when he's messing with us, he would never dream of messing with it. That's why I always say he's going to rue the day he messed with the church of Jesus Christ. That's the key for us is to allow God to turn these things. Instead of listening to the devil, instead of imbibing his false narrative, instead of receiving his false notes, he's going to send them to you guys. He's going to try and create disturbance in our ranks amongst us. And yet our God is greater and has triumphed over it. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, having disarmed COINTEL Pro against us, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. It's interesting because this group that is going to stand against, you know, the FBI in that day, which sounds like a very bad idea. You know, if I, if I were thinking through the, the dangerous people to mess with on earth, J. Edgar Hoover is one of them. And they're going to burgle an FBI office. And yet there is going to be a public spectacle made of all that the FBI has been up to. And that's precisely what we need. We need a March 8th, 1971 in our life where we awaken to the realities of what the devil is doing, who God is, and that we are immune to what the enemy is saying. That is a lie. It is not true. This is not your enemy, the, the, you know, the other denomination over here, the other leader in your church. The enemy is doing his best to play you against them. I've had people sit across from me in an office and say these elaborate things that they believe I'm doing or thinking about them. It's like, you're thinking this. No, 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 I'm not thinking that. But the enemy is telling them that I'm thinking that. I always feel like you're judging me when I'm around you. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, I'm loving you when uh, you're around me. And so what, what is this? And so to speak truth over those lies and to quell that voice in our lives and to not allow the enemy to get away with his co-intel pro nonsense. Father, boy, do we need you. 
We need our ready defense. We need the truth. Lord, it's, it can be disturbing to know that we have an enemy that is desiring to destroy us, to devour us. But Lord, it should be so comforting to know that we have a God who is interested in standing guard and being a shield about us and who quells every fiery dart of the evil one. Lord, may we hold up that shield of faith right now and may we walk in the strength and the power of the Almighty. We love you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.